Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. Welcome to the Google Teacher Tribe Podcast. Your source for the latest news on Google for education, tips, tricks, and teaching ideas you can use in class tomorrow. And here are your hosts, Matt Miller from DitchThatTextbook.com and Casey Bell from ShakeUpLearning.com. Hey, y'all. We are excited to get started on episode 23. And, you know, Matt and I, we definitely share a lot in common and we talk a lot about the things that we're interested in and especially the books that we're reading. And so, Matt, I want to know what's what's on your reading list right now? Oh, man, I've got so much stuff that I haven't read that I'm I'm interested in digging into. But I've got this one book uh, it's called Intention, uh, Critical Creativity in the Classroom, and it's written by Amy Burval and Dan Ryder. Amy Burval, who I've followed on Twitter forever, and Dan Ryder, um, who's a, a friend and a, a guy I also have followed on Twitter for a while. And um, this is just this fascinating, enormous <laughs> book of all of these ways that you can bring creativity into the classroom. And of course, the both of the authors are just supremely talented artists. And so like Amy Burval's sketches and uh, Dan Ryder's doodles and all of this stuff are just kind of all throughout the book. And so um, it's got some really like actionable things you can do in the classroom too. So that one, that one is right at the top of my list. How about you? I'm definitely going to have to add that one to my list. I, I have met Amy several times and I would love to meet Dan. I think they are both uh, creative minds that just fascinate me. I, I, I'm sure this book is just loaded with ideas for the classroom. So I'm going to share something that I am super excited about that actually has nothing to do with the classroom. Um, at least it's not geared towards the classroom, but it, it made a call to me, so to speak. And as I was thumbing through some of the devotionals in the version Bible app that I use on my phone, I discovered this one called Called to Create. And it's based on, um, you know, helping guide Christian entrepreneurs into creativity and creative jobs and, um, you know, finding your calling through that. And I, I just really, like I said, called out to me and I was like, oh, this is great. Where is the book? 
And so I went to Amazon and lo and behold, it was on pre-order. So it hasn't even come out and I'm already excited about it. And I, I, I just really want to dig in and find out um, how I can better be of service with, with what, what I'm doing and how I can be creative and, and reach, reach more people. So um, I'm really excited about that one. And I, I hope that you guys have some interesting books that you can share with us as well. So feel free to do that uh, and use the Google Teacher Tribe hashtag. GT Tribe. I have a giant stack of books, though, I have to fully admit, um, staring me in the face right now. So the fact that I'm talking about one of the books that's not even out when I have all of these uh, that I want to read. So so my list is huge, but I, I would love to hear what's on everybody's reading list. Yeah. You know what the cure is to your addiction to books is more books. It's right. Like the, the stack taller, you know? Yeah, exactly. I'm exactly the same way. And this called to create book is, is right at the top of my list too. So we've got an episode to do, don't we? We do. What, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we are going to talk about one of my favorite things related to Google and uh, something you can do with it that I love too. The, the tool we're talking about is Google Drawings and how you can make your, your thinking visual. So we've got all sorts of very practical, very creative ideas that you can use in the classroom. And we've got, of course, our news and updates. We've got some questions from our listeners and some blog posts. So let's get at it. All right, let's jump into the Google News and Updates section. So we have been bombarded with updates over the summer and, of course, playing catch up a little bit here on the podcast. So so today's episode feels a little closer to normal in terms of, of what we have to announce and, and not as huge as some of the updates that we've had in the past few weeks. But I want to share with you a, a Gmail update that I think is pretty interesting and I think it will be a big time saver. So Gmail and Inbox will now begin creating links of contact information that it finds in your inbox. So in terms of phone numbers and addresses and those things will become links that you can either um, from your phone click on the number and and dial and call directly or um, the address click on it and automatically take you to maps now of course this also makes it easier to save time from having to copy and paste you know whether you're on desktop mobile whatever you're on you know we spend a lot of time copying and pasting uh, contact information email addresses all of those things um, from one place to the next so I, I think this feature is going to make my life easier. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to try this out. Yeah, seems pretty intuitive. So I'm glad that they that they pulled the trigger and made that happen. And so another thing that is pretty neat has to do with Google Earth. Uh, now, when you use Google Earth, obviously, you can zoom in on the Earth and you can use it. Um, you can use the satellite view and the 3D view and everything to see things. But now... As Google said in its, uh, its news release, now you can see the world through someone else's lens. So what people can do now is they can upload their photos. They've actually been able to do this in Google Maps for a while, but um, you're, they're able to upload their own photos and tag them on Google Earth. And so now the next time you pull up Google Earth, there should be a spot along the left where you can flip a little switch and turn on photos. And now you're able to go click on and look at other people's photos. And see, this this is especially interesting to me because I use Google Maps Street View all the time, you know, where it lets you drop yourself down on the street and kind of walk around all over the world. And 
One of the things I've noticed is that there are a lot of places where Google Maps Street View exists, but there's a lot of places where it doesn't. And so if you have those photos from other people, sometimes you're able to see what it looks like down on the street or down on the ground in these places that the Google car couldn't drive around and, and capture images. So so this seems like a, a pretty cool update. Yeah, I like it. And I love the fact that this is, you know, not only crowdsourcing, but I think this will bring some interesting perspectives um, into the classroom as well. And hopefully allowing students to not only explore the world through someone else's eyes, but, you know, contribute to this as well. Yeah, definitely. So if you're interested in some more, we have some links to more information at our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 23. Let's dig into this tool that I love so much that has so much potential, and that is Google Drawings. We're going to be talking specifically about visual thinking, ways that you can pull images in, um, you know, different visuals to to connect to what it is that you're thinking about and talking about. And I really feel like Google Drawings is kind of like the go-to Google tool for this. And there's good reason, too. Whenever, you know, brain science tells us that whenever you put images and text together, it's always stickier in the brain because your brain already thinks in images anyway. And whenever you speak or whenever you read text, it has to translate it into images. And so whenever we can put those two together, it's just, you know, inherently more more powerful learning. And Google Drawings is just an easy way to do that. I always felt like Google Drawings is kind of like a digital poster board. And it's really simple to use because there's only just a handful of tools. You've got lines, shapes, text, and images. So the the barrier to entry, kind of like the uh, the learning curve, is really low whenever teachers and students are, are learning it. And there's so much that you can do with with Google Drawings. I mean, the the potential is really huge, isn't it, Casey? Absolutely. It is what I often call the unsung hero of G Suite. You know, you know, people don't like the fact that it takes like an extra little click to to open it inside G Suite. But what what I wish Google would develop is the template gallery for drawings, because I feel like that's a huge missing piece that would help connect the dots for teachers and students. Because the first time I opened up Google Drawings, I was like, what's this? Right. You know, I was like, like, uh, there's like five tools across the top and there's this big blank canvas. What do I do with this? Like, it wasn't inherently something that I naturally thought about ways uh, to use. So honestly, it wasn't until I started working towards becoming a Google certified trainer where that kind of forced me to learn some of the tools inside drawings a little bit more. I was like, oh, okay, you know, light bulb goes off. I'm like, this is kind of endless, you know, what we can do with this. And so I really wish that, you know, we had that universal template gallery like we have for docs and sheets and slides and forms and everything so that teachers could grab those and use them easily, but also make those connections on how great it is for the classroom. There's just so many things. And and honestly, when we were planning this, you and I both were like, oh, this could go so many directions. So, you know, we are sort of purposely sticking with the visual thinking idea here because I mean we could do so many sessions on infographics on graphic organizers we could do um, all kinds of things just about you know virtual manipulatives that you can create inside Google Drive so um, yes totally agree um, the the ideas are endless and so I think one of my favorite ideas and something that I do a lot is 
is annotate on top of images. And, you know, that that can take many forms. I know for me, I annotate all, on screenshots a lot. And that's easily done, easy to bring in different images to layer them on top of each other. Matt has a great example. And uh, Matt, don't let me Tex-Mex the Spanish here. How do you pronounce this? <laughs> El Tres de Mayo. <laughs> El Tres de Mayo. So. <laughs> Actually done. Yes, thank you. My name was Margarita in Spanish class. So, uh, <laughs> Margarita Bell, it just rolls off the tongue, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, no, but this is a great example that you can access in the show notes. And um, so, so, Matt, tell me exactly what is this is depicting here. Oh, yeah. So, this is a, um, this is a, Kind of a, a big important painting when you're talking about uh, Spanish culture, and it was painted by Francisco Goya, um, like decades or uh, centuries ago. And so I was able to find the image just through doing a simple, you know, images search through Google Drawings. You go to insert images and then use the search. And so I pulled that in, and then was able to just add all of these little tags just using like little text boxes and basically was able to label what we know about the the painting. And so there's about five of these little labels with some arrows on them. So talk about, you know, annotation on images. This is pretty simple. This is kind of like taking a, cutting a picture out of a magazine and putting some little tags on it and pointing arrows over to it. So it can, it can really be done pretty simply. Yes, I, I you know I like the annotating on top of images. I think too, in terms of with my language arts brain, you know, bringing sort of the text to life in other ways and being able to tell the story in a new way, and making this interactive because in Google Drawings, not only can we you know add these labels and add text and images, but we can also add links and you know help to extend the learning beyond just what drawings can even offer. We can connect the dots to so many other resources. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think that's a a really good one. Now, if you want to take this idea of annotating images to the next level, um, we can go in the direction of photo comic strips. So I ran across a, a website by Mike Petty, who's an educator in Michigan. Um, and he was talking about how you can bring photos into slides or in this case into Google Drawings and almost make them into these these comic strips where you know, the photos of the students are the stars of them. So on pretty much any device, there's a way to shoot a picture by going through the image tool. So if you're working off of a like a laptop or a Chromebook, you can go to insert image and then use take a snapshot. And then of course, if you're using a mobile device, it's really easy to take a picture and then you can just pull it into your Google drawing. So imagine that you take a picture of yourself or of students taking pictures of themselves and then they stick it onto a Google drawing. Remember, a Google drawing looks kind of like a, just like a, a blank poster board. And so you put that picture up in maybe the top left quadrant or quarter of the poster board. Now, with that picture there, let's add some uh, some shapes. So if you insert the shapes, there's a, there's a variety of different things that you can add. And one of them is a speech bubble. And so if you add a little speech bubble right next to your head, now you can say what it is that you're saying. You can add a thought bubble. You can you know, pull in a variety of different pictures and layer them on top of each other. And so you do that with one picture. 
and let's add a second picture and a third picture and a fourth picture and do the same thing. And if you do that, basically what you've got is a four-panel comic strip. And I, I think the, the education connection to this, there's, there's tons of it because if you're studying a story or anything in history, I mean, you know, that, that's a really easy way to retell it. Um, you could have conversations with historic mathematicians or scientists, or you could have students talking out through speech bubbles how they would solve a problem. I mean, it kind of goes on and on and on. So this is, this is another one of those really, really cool ways that I love to show people. Yes. And, you know, I, I really want to share a story and I'm, I'm hoping I haven't shared this before because I, I tell this one all the time. This was one of my favorite activities that I did with my eighth graders. And um, during the teaching of Edgar Allan Poe, I had my students use a comic strip maker. This was before we had Google Drawings, so bear with me. And they had to retell the telltale heart in their own words. And so... This was something, uh, really me just kind of taking a risk and not really knowing what this was going to do. But it, it became very interesting because we had a shift in the image or imagery used and a lot of their comic strips became comedies. Really? <laughs> Whereas wow. we, we all know the telltale heart in, in its original intention is definitely not a comedy, but that was a teachable moment. And it became one of the most powerful things that I, I did in class that year. I, I was really proud of what they accomplished and it showed like a deeper understanding of the text because in order to retell it in a different way or from a different perspective or, you know, different point of view, you really do have to have that deeper level of understanding. So I think it's really a, a fun way um, to tell the stories, whether it's actually a comic strip or, you know, these kind of um, labeled images and things like that. So um, that was just really a, a fun project that I did with my students. Wow. I love that. That's that's amazing. And that also goes to show what, it, what happens whenever you take something originally and then remix it. I mean, just the ability to kind of make something your own and own it and change it around a little bit, I think is really, really cool. So that's a, oh, that's yeah. a great story. Well, no, and I'll tell you, because this was still in my very early teaching years and I was using tech for tech's sake. I found a tool and wanted to use it. I just lucked out that it turned into something very, uh, very worthwhile. So full full confession there on that, that it, it you know, but that's also sort of the, the t putting your neck out and taking a risk to try something. Sometimes the, the learning can actually you know, take on a life of its own when you do that. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how sometimes great learning can happen, even if we don't have the best, the best laid plans. Right, right. Yeah. So another way that we can use Google drawings that I am totally in love with and use all the time myself has to do with making infographics. And of course, I'm sure you've seen infographics kind of all over the web. Um, Pinterest has those big, tall, long infographics. And Google Drawings is a fantastic way to do it because you can make the text, you can add in some shapes to kind of like, you know, to kind of break your um, break your white space up a little bit. But then you can also bring in images. And that's one of the things I love about infographics is that you've got all of these little icons a lot of times that pair the visual with the text, kind of like what I was saying at the beginning of this. And one of my favorite places to get those icons is this website called The Noun Project. That's the noun, N-O-U-N, project.com. And so the way it works is you, you've you got more than a million icons that you can search through, and you can download them and use them for free as long as you attribute it. So you basically have to say who the artist is and that you got it from the nounproject.com. 
And so when I pull those in with all of the you know hundreds or thousands or whatever it is of uh, fonts that are available through Google and you mix in colors and you kind of lay in colors and shapes and stuff on top of things – um, those infographics can end up looking pretty fancy, all, all just done through Google Drawings. And in the show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 23, I've got a link to the noun project, but also to one of the infographics that I made that I like the most. Um, I know so this will make some of you groan, but I went to a conference not too long ago where they did a new take and a remix on the old Madeline Hunter lesson plan. So if that if that makes you groan, then at least look at it for the sake of looking at the infographic because I made one that just kind of illustrates all the different steps. And so there's a link to that on the show notes, or you can just go to ditchthattextbook.com slash hunter, and so you can go check that out. But I can see all sorts of academic connections on this. You know what I mean? Yes, I love infographics, so that's something I, I spend a lot of time creating myself. Now, you know, I think there are very different approaches to this, but I think it's especially good at helping kids understand data in new ways, you know, when it's broken down. And, you know, that's, I think, sort of at its its very inception, a lot of infographics tend to be um, around data. And I think that's another great connection that we can bring in. But I, I love graphic organizers. I like making them. I like reading them. They help me absorb the information faster, doing that dual coding thing that you were mentioning earlier but inside google drawings you know what i love and i didn't know this for the longest time oh again man i'm just full of confessions today so um (laughs) you know google drawings you go to file um, page setup and you can change the size to make it something exact but what i didn't realize is that down in the bottom right hand corner you can click and drag and so you can resize it as it grows and that's something that i struggle with when i'm creating graphics organizers because like you said oftentimes they're very long and 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 skinny and so mine just keep getting longer and longer and longer and what I love about using Google drawings is that makes it so much easier instead of me having to guess at like okay what size do I really need it to be I can really just play with it and and be a little more hands-on to, to make it fit so um, I think that was a great little tip uh, that I wished I had learned earlier on in my Google drawings experience but you know a lot of people don't notice you have to actually have the mouse on the the I believe the background itself to see yes. the little triangle in the bottom right and so uh, one of my favorite little tips for Google drawings yeah and you know you can obviously resize that as necessary but see I'm gonna like come full circle here and refer back to this book that I was just telling you about <laughs> in this book intention critical creativity in the classroom they say creativity craves constraints so if you were able to stay within that size, and then only add the stuff that was the most important, that's a whole different take that you can take on it. So if you want that flexibility to change your size, you can, or you can use it as a constraint to really to really bring out that creativity. So yeah, I love that. That was great. That's awesome. And Matt, you actually have a great resource that I use a lot when I do any presentations on Google Drawings on some free graphic organizer templates that um, people can use. So um, there's like 15 of these, I think. And I love these. And I love, like I said, because I wish there was a template gallery. So um, there's not one, but guess what? Matt made one for you. So <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Matt, tell us what kind of graphic organizers are in this list. So basically, there I started out with 15. And this is honestly one of my most popular blog posts of all time. 
I think it's got more than a thousand shares just between Pinterest and Facebook combined. And basically this was on a snow day. I sat down and I created all of these uh, graphic organizers in Google Drawings. I made simple ones like Venn diagram and a timeline um, did some more complex stuff like a character map or Cornell note taking or the Freyer model. And so they're all basically, there's links to them off of this blog post. And so if you click on one, it forces you to make a copy into your own Google Drive. And so the way that these work a lot of times is that you customize them the way that you want your students to get them. And then you make a copy for the students. And there's a couple ways to do that. You can either just attach your graphic organizer to an assignment in Google Classroom. And of course, when you do that, you have that little drop-down menu at the right that lets you make a copy for each student. And so that's just like custom-made, it almost feels like, for these graphic organizers. If you don't have that option, then you could share a link with your student's to the graphic organizer, but just give them view rights. And then they can obviously just go to file, make a copy. Or you can even take the URL up at the top, you know, the link to the the graphic organizer and change everything at the end of it from the word edit on. You just delete out the word edit and you change it to copy. So if you put copy at the end of that URL, then that'll force them to make a copy. So there's a couple ways to get them like their own personal copy of this so that they can fill it in and kind of work them through their own thinking. So those are some of the things that I've got on that that particular post. Well, I have to hold myself back because I, I think we could keep talking about Google Drawings for hours. Uh, right. So we're going to have to save some of this for some future episodes. But we do have some additional resources. Uh, you know, we both have lots of resources that we have created or that we use all the time when it comes to Google Drawings. So we wanted to make those available to you in the show notes, googleteachertribe.com slash 23. I have a free Google Drawings cheat sheet direct link. You can go grab that little PDF and that can help you and your your students learn about all the little tools inside Google Drawings. And um, Matt has an entire manifesto on Google Drawings. You want to explain that? Yeah, this is where I've, I've written so many different little blog posts about things you can do like visual note taking and interactive posters and, you know, all of these things. And so I just pulled them together in one kind of like epic blog post called the Google Drawings Manifesto for Teachers. And so that's just a huge blog post with some of my best stuff for Google Drawings. So, so yeah, that's there and all these other links. And you can find those, of course, at our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 23. The Google Teacher Tribe podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. The Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. For more great education podcasts, go to edupodcastnetwork.com. Well, the tribe never fails to stump us. We get questions all the time and feedback from all of you that we would love to help answer on the podcast. So um, just just a reminder, if you didn't know this, you can go to googleteachertribe.com slash feedback, and you can actually leave us a voicemail through SpeakPipe. And it's pretty cool to be able to play your voice on the podcast. So if you, if you have a great question and you want us to answer it, please feel free to go to the website and do that. And did you catch how we kind of phrase that? It's like your question is a good question. But if it's a question done on the voicemail, it's even 
better. Uh, let's not. Yeah, it's better. It's better. Yeah, we're not. We're not knocking your your questioning strategies. No, no, of course, no. of course. That's right. Not at all. So our first question is from Megan Eberhart from Edina, Minnesota, and Megan says, "Love, love, love the podcast. You do such a great job of sharing ideas on how to use Google that I can share with teachers the next day. I work with six elementary buildings supporting teachers and students with their tech." Needs. Bless her heart. One thing that, yes, bless her heart. One thing that we saw this year was editing videos in YouTube will be going away on the 20th. And I've been looking for a new editor. Any ideas on what tool I can use and share with teachers that is cloud-based? So, uh, Matt? So I used to love this because it was easy to pull all of these videos from all over YouTube that were set as Creative Commons. So kids could even create these kind of like video montages with it. But sadly, like Megan mentioned, it is gone. So when it comes to, and we'll be interested to see your feedback on this too, because I'm kind of scouting out uh, replacement options on this also. But the first thing that comes to mind, of course, is WeVideo for me. So WeVideo will let you take video clips and put them in order like that and put little transitions and text and all of that. And then you can save your video as a you know video project like an actual video file and then stick it on YouTube or or whatever but we video the free version of it does have limitations as far as the number of minutes that you can use per month so there is that limitation where the YouTube editor didn't have that so i'd say that's probably my number one recommendation of things that i'm familiar with but um of course if if you're listening and you've got a better suggestion or maybe just a different suggestion then definitely either shoot us some feedback or tweet at us on the GT Tribe hashtag on Twitter, and we'll be glad to share those. We video was the first thing that came to mind for me. I love the fact that it's web based and that it saved to it saves to Google Drive. Right. So that's a huge selling point. They can log in with their Google accounts. And um, the, yes, there is a free version. I think it, it's a pretty decent version when you yes, compare what things are free and what things are not. So um, keep that in mind. But I know a lot of schools have invested in that as well and, and buying the, the full version for their teachers. So I, I think I think we video is a great solution for that. Yeah, and I just pulled it up and it shows that the free version gives you five minutes of published time per month. So if you're wanting to do like one video project per month, this is going to be good. You've got a gig of uh, cloud storage and they've got a 22 song music library and you can even download to the computer. But some of the editing features and green screen and screencasting and all of that aren't supported on the on the free version. So that's kind of the those are kind of the details on WeVideo. Second question, and this one comes from Becca Glassberg from the Bronx, New York, and she even tells us at the beginning, quick question. This is a quick one, and it actually is a quick one. She says, if I post an assignment to individual students in Google Classroom, will that assignment show up on just their calendars and not other students' calendars? Because, you know, Google Classroom does do those calendar notifications automatically based on their assignments. And so Casey, what's the answer to that question? The answer is no. So I, I did go ahead and, and test this and double check this, but I think we would have a monster on our hands if every student could see individual assignments that way. So um, in the brilliance of, of Google Classroom and the connection of those assignment due dates back to the calendar that is connected to that class, um, the, only the student 
students who were given that assignment should actually see that on their calendar. Now, if anybody has experienced something different, please let me know. Um, and uh, we definitely want to report that because that would be a glitch and, and would sort of negate the whole way that this is supposed to work and us being able to uh, differentiate and, and give these these assignments through Google Classroom. Totally agree. So thankfully, that quick question had a quick, easy answer. So we have one more question, right? Yes, we do. So we have a question from Tim Baker from Frankfort, Kentucky, and um, he has STLP students, which we had to look this up to make sure we were correct, Student Tech Leadership Program. So he has this this tech team of students who have repeating tasks to complete each day, checking computer labs, updating online assignments, etc. And he is trying to find an app extension or site that will allow them to access it quickly and simply check off that a task was done. Tasks are not assigned to each student. They just check off that they took care of it each day. I've thought about Google Calendar or possibly using a form, but that's a little more involved than what we're looking for. We're trying to keep this as simple and as efficient as possible. Any ideas? Yeah. So when Casey and I looked at this, the same word came to mind for both of us, and that was keep. Which I think is funny because the word keep is actually in his question. It's in that little last <laughs> sentence. Keep this as simple as possible. And we said, yes, yes. He knew the like answer it. all along. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah. So Google Keep allows you to create a note and then make it into a checklist. And so I could see creating a checklist and then duplicating that note so that you've got the checklist for each day. And then in the title, just you know, have maybe the title is the date and then you've got all the check marks and then the students could go through and check them off. So I think that would be probably the quickest and easiest, not highly involved type of answer for that kind of question. Absolutely. And I think uh, just in general that Google Keep is a great place for those daily tasks that you have students repeat over and over again that maybe need some reminders like, you know, uh, turning in your uh, whatever it is the assignments were, but marking things done in Google Classroom. You know, a lot of the just those sort of housekeeping things that you have to find yourself for reminding students. I know in my class, you know, a lot of the silent sustained reading activities that we did and things like that. So I think I think this would be a great solution. But if anybody else has another solution that you think would work better, please tweet us and uh, let us know so we can help Tim out. And thank you to all of our contributors in today's question and answer session. We greatly appreciate hearing from you and we learn from each and every one of you every time you submit a question. Yes, we do. Thank you. Okay, so from the blogosphere, uh, Casey and I have some things to share, and the one that I wanted to share with you was written by Shaylin Farnsworth. Now, that name may sound familiar to you, because we did have Shaylin on the show in episode 13. It was using G Suite to improve writing, and so right in that same vein, Shaylin has published a, a post on her blog that I really like, and it's called From Topic to Thesis teaching students to write argument. And so she says that in her classroom, she's found that students struggled when creating a thesis. So she used this method that she used in college. And so she kind of like outlines all the different parts. So she says stuff like state what you're going to study, what questions you want to answer, how will the answer to the question lead to better understanding of the larger issue? How is it misunderstood? Just all of these really good questions that students can ask themselves as they're trying to establish that thesis. So so if your students do any sort of writing for you, I definitely encourage you to go check this out on Shaylin's blog. And of course, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. 
Yes, bless you, Shaylin, for doing that. Teaching how to write a thesis is one of the hardest things in teaching writing. So thank you. Uh, we loved having her on the podcast. She always has yes. so many fabulous things to talk about. I have a post uh, that is combining the power of Google Classroom with YouTube. So uh, just talking about some ideas for different ways that we can directly use YouTube in our assignments with Google Classroom. You know, and there's a lot of different ways and different ideas, obviously sort of tagging off of the whole writing idea, videos can make great writing prompts. And so um, actually, John Spencer has a, a great video that I included in this post that you can use to help spark some creativity, and you can even use it to spark discussion. Uh, Lisa Heifel had a great little uh, Make You Think playlist that she shared with me that I added on there. So some great things to, to add there. And then uh, Lisa also shared a great little HyperDocs and YouTube combination presentation that she did. So just another way to sort of merge all of our favorite things about Classroom and HyperDocs and all kinds of fun things. Now, I love to see student announcements that are videos. I don't know, Matt, about you, but I, I love watching the kids create these and share these and how awesome would it be to put these in Google Classroom so that they can be referenced later. And I, I put one in there that I found particularly interesting and creative and fun. So lots of ideas for that. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's the power of combining all of G Suite together. So and I think that's why we love doing this podcast is there's just yes. so many great ideas out there. And we have a lot of fun doing it and a lot of fun talking about it. Well, there you go. Visual thinking, Google drawings. Hopefully you've got some some practical ideas that you can start using in the classroom right away. And I know there's a ton of links in those show notes. So if you haven't checked those out, you probably ought to. And this is, you know, for, for good reason. This is one that, that Casey and I absolutely love is the power of Google drawings. Yes, uh, Google drawings is an amazing tool. And we hope that everybody is walking away with a, a whole toolbox of tips and tricks and ideas for the classroom. Yeah, so until the next episode, any ideas that you have, anything that you've got to share with us, be sure to share it with the with us on Twitter on the GT Tribe hashtag. And until then, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power, and may the Googles be with you. Ha ha, yeah. At least I haven't done my blah blah thing. So uh, there you go. There's one. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> just today. Just today. Apparently, that's the extra twist that I'm bringing. So. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, 
be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech podcast.